How we doing, folks? Welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement and one day soon a true proletarian revolution. But until that day comes, I am your host, Josh, and I'd like to say thank you so much for stopping by. Uh, If this is your first time stopping by, I'd like to say, again, thank you so much. It means a lot. If you enjoy the show and have any interest in doing so, please go to either Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave me an honest rating and review so that I can know what is good about the show, what is not, what I can work on, what I can really hone in on, Maybe what topics are of interest to you folks, what guests you'd like to come on, or, uh, you know, maybe some shows you'd like to see me uh, try to guest spot on. So anyways, uh, if this is you coming back, I appreciate it very much. I hope you will enjoy this episode as you have enjoyed those which have come before it. But anyways, today we have a few different things I want to talk about, and I don't really have an outline. So... We're just going to hope, as we do a lot of times when I hit record, that I stay on topic and that I'm able to uh, clearly and cohesively uh, explain the topics and ideas which I'm trying to convey to you. But anyways, so a few things off the top. First and foremost, there's a lot of big things happening all over the world. The largest uh, fruit and fruit drink producer in South Africa uh, of over 6,000 employees recently went on strike, as did the, uh, well, let me see here. It is the Workers and Socialist Party that I believe is in a lot of cases leading the struggle or at least attempting to galvanize the workers who are already themselves involved in a struggle. But right now, also in South Africa, a lot of the metal workers and the industrial workers are also going on strike, walking off of work. Um, The largest union in uh, South Africa is the metal workers union. Um, And they are holding conferences and I believe they are holding a demonstration today um, to demand uh, all kinds of things, including a reinstatement of workers who were illegally let go by Clover, the largest dairy producer in um, South Africa. You also have demands for uh, the Christmas bonuses that recently just came through that these places, especially Clover, refused to pay its workers. And now this uh, recent uh, this recent finding by the Uh, labor board in South Africa, uh, which forces the company to pay the Christmas bonuses to the workers they had refused to, Um, this will allow the workers to probably last right around just about another month in the struggle. So we really have to be supporting these workers. We also have to be supporting ExxonMobil workers in Texas, which are on strike. We have to be supporting the Chicago Teachers Union, uh, which recently called for, through a union vote, uh, remote classes rather than in-person classes. And then the superintendent school board, and I believe the mayor of Chicago even, demanded that the teachers go into work, that they uh, hold classes in person, and that things begin, quote, going back to normal. But as a lot of us know, in this pandemic, this is not possible, nor is it logical. So plenty of Chicago teachers within and outside of the union have decided to strike, have decided to not go, have decided to make demands. And all in all, what this is leading to is the Chicago school board uh, refusing to pay the teachers for the past five days straight without work. Uh, as well as a complete and utter um, isolation of the unions by the city of Chicago uh, to throw the blame for all the struggles on the teachers, which the school district, the city, and the uh, you know representatives of government have done almost absolutely nothing to 
mitigate and mediate in an intelligent and uh, containment fashion. We also need to be supporting a lot of different struggles going on for things like abortion rights, a end or a criminalization of the sex trade, as well as a <clears throat> ongoing, um, what do I want to call it? An ongoing spontaneous struggle that keeps popping up that uh, I'm actually able to engage with right now is these little, like, and I don't want to call them little because there's 86,000 people in this Reddit forum, but there is currently a Reddit forum called r slash Mayday Strike. Um, there's a group of people who have come together and said that they want to have a strike on Mayday and possibly a few days afterwards as well as an extended strike. Um, and I've gone on to the Reddit page to try to have discussions with people to see what they're thinking because I'd love to know what the average uh, you know, worker that's of the age that they'd probably be on Reddit. So like somewhere between you know, late teens and late 20s. Um, to, to guesstimate, you know, I have no confirmation for that, but folks who would use Reddit to have these conversations, um, all seem to be of the same belief that a strike is necessary. Like a general strike is very necessary. Um, and they also seem to understand that by working together, by developing this kind of uh, solidarity and connectivity, we can really begin to lay the base for something like a general strike. And this, along with other small movements that have been popping up all over throughout the last few years across this country and across the world... I think we can see quite clearly that workers are not going to continue to let themselves be treated as they have. One thing that is changing incredibly is the lack of conditioning that this system has really been able to perpetuate upon the students and the young workers of our society. Because... For those of you who really, you know, forget, school is about conditioning. It's not about learning. It's about conditioning, as is some of your first entry-level jobs. Because of that, and because so many of these places have been closed, the schools, the uh, jobs, etc., they've not had the the tight grip on the minds of the young people as they normally would to this point because of how the pandemic has caused us to have to close things down. Because of this, there is a lot less hard work sentiment in the minds of the young uh, people that I have interacted with. That's including people my age as well. Um, The average person I know that you know, works full-time or works a few part-time jobs to make full-time hours, hates it, absolutely hates it for so many different reasons. First and foremost being you really have no self-autonomy. If you got to be to work, you got to be to work. If you want to eat and you want to pay your bills and you want to survive, you got to be to work. If you don't want to have an anxiety attack and deal with all the subsequent mental health issues that come from being unemployed, you got to be to work. Yet half of us either can't get a job or simply won't because it's not going to pay us well. I mean, I keep trying to stress to all the folks that I interact with that say, you know, the issue is really these lazy workers. I I keep trying to point out to them, would you go to work for some place that's not going to give you health care? That's not going to give you any benefits? That's not going to pay your gas to drive? I drive 30 minutes to and from work every day. That comes out of my pocket. That's $40. 40 to $50 every single week that comes out of my pocket, out of my paycheck. I got to drive to this place where I can't fucking stand any of the customers that come in. So I got to deal with the attitude. I got to deal with the passive aggressiveness. I got to deal with the dehumanization that comes from being a real t- retail worker. And I also have to do all of this for a really shitty wage. 
as an assistant manager who barely makes over minimum wage. So because of this, I think a lot of people forget that there really isn't any fucking reason for me to go to this job if I'm going to get paid triple that on unemployment. You know, folks who were all upset during the pandemic that people were cashing unemployment checks. How would you go fuck yourself? How would you go care about your own self if you really are so concerned with other people? But in such a reactionary fashion. Because what frustrates me is it's like, okay, obviously the intention behind it is isolating workers from one another. But how do you see someone with kids who can't eat? who can't get a house, and you're going to come at them, oh, well, they just got their children a new pair of shoes, or, oh, well, they just broke their phone, or they just crashed their car, and they got a new car or a new phone, so they're stupid because they're not using their money wisely, or, well, they can't keep a job. Do you know how fucking hard it is to keep a job with a child? If you don't, maybe you should shut your fucking mouth, because quite honestly, if you don't have any experience with the difficulties that come with trying to work with children, and I mean trying to work while having children yourself, not trying to work at a daycare or somewhere like that, but if you don't understand the trauma that comes with trying to survive with children in the world right now, you should not be talking about this. You shouldn't. And you shouldn't be talking about it in a way that dehumanizes and devalues other people. Um, That's disgusting. So, it's clear, right? And we talk about this almost every episode. It's clear that things going on across the world can prove to us that things aren't going to stay the same for long. The contradictions that exist between poor and wealthy people... The contradictions that exist between white and non-white people, the contradictions that exist between men and non-men, cannot go ignored any longer. And since the pandemic, it has been almost impossible to find subterfuges or new forms of, you know, wealth accumulation that distract from the ultimate inequality that is being suffered by the working class. Because in a period in time where uh, mass consumerism is able to be enjoyed in its uh, truest fashion, without lockdowns, without you know uh, shortages, without staffing issues, without increased prices, this keeps the capitalist system going. Because as Lenin and many others speak about, one of the most incredibly difficult things to break away from when it comes to developing a new society is the habit of millions. I was speaking to my grandma the other day about the fact that during this pandemic in the United States, you saw almost none of the consumer-based shopping plazas, malls, and other, you know, uh, big box stores closed down. Walmart couldn't have closed down. Where are people going to get food from? Dollar General couldn't have closed down. Where are people going to get food from? Price Chopper, Tops, all these huge stores that can keep at least 50 to 100 people in them on average at any point during the day that may or may not have COVID in a period in time where the current strain is uh, more mild in symptoms for folks without pre-existing conditions and is therefore used as an excuse to allow those with pre-existing conditions to keep dying at a mass rate that is illogical, uh, 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 abnormal, and uh, abhorrent. Because the CDC, the World Health Organization, and the ruling class governments of the Western nations are complicit in the blood and death of millions of Uh, people with what they are calling comorbidities. Basically, human beings, they decided they didn't need to care enough about anymore because they had already existing sicknesses, injuries, diseases, or disabilities. And this is absolutely uh, disgusting. Yet again, this is dehumanizing evil behavior. Um, It can only be seen in this way and in its truest form, which is purely profit-based and motivated thinking. Um, but anyways, getting back to my point, I was speaking about uh, to my grandma 
the fact that first and foremost, there was no mass education campaign about vaccines, about viruses in general, the history of virology and germ studies, how we began to learn about uh, communicable diseases, how contagion uh, levels really uh, are determined and how uh, important they are, as well as strategies and tactics to containment, not simply vaccination. So anyways, we also didn't have any kind of community-based control really begin to be developed. So For my own personal experience in the beginning of the pandemic, I started working briefly with an organization locally that was going around and doing surveying to see who was willing to get the vaccine, were they willing to go, did we need to set up locations or drive-throughs nearby, did, you know, people have any questions, did people have any concerns or comments, and I'll tell you what, out of 600 people that I spoke to, I think it was in total like 617 I spoke to 617 people in the course of maybe three weeks. And in that time, about 90% of them closed the door in my face. Now, this was June, July of 2020. Um, No, June and July of 2021, excuse me. Slammed the door in my face, right? Out of the maybe 30 to 40 people that didn't slam the door in my face or didn't go on a rant about how I'm trying to poison and kill their children. The 30 to 40 that had a non-negative, I won't say positive, but a non-negative response to us being there, I would say about half of them said that they didn't think that they were going to get the vaccine, um, but they did it in a, you know, a, a kind way. The other half who said that they might have gotten their vaccine, I think... If I'm remembering, because again, this is quite a bit ago, but if I'm remembering correctly, I believe somewhere between three and five of them already had a first dose. That is it. Now, of course, this is very early in the vaccination campaign, uh, only three, four months in here in the West, in the United States. But at the same time, we are the wealthiest uh, nation in the history of nations by many different standards. Why is it nations like China, like Vietnam, like uh, Korea, North and South, although much more in the Democratic People's Republic of Korea than in the uh, Southern Republic of Korea, but also in places like Cuba, in Nicaragua, in Venezuela, in Bolivia, you have mass education campaigns where you have public teach-ins, you have pamphlets being passed out, you have organizations you can be in contact with, and you have access to the conversations and dialogue that the scientific community is engaged in. I mentioned to my grandma, there's hundreds of international scientific communities that are right now and have been for generations constantly meeting year after year, discussing all kinds of issues that are going on across the world. And yet none of us are privy to this information. And if we are, if we do, you know, dedicate ourselves to learning this, when we try to bring it up with people, that's not the mainstream news. So they don't believe it. They don't believe science. They don't believe the scientists because there's so many backwards ideologies and so many backwards, uh, you know, constructs of the scientific community that the average American has that we really would have had to dedicate serious time and have to still today dedicate serious time to not only breaking down these backwards uh, ideological uh, beliefs, but we also have to build up new ones. We have to help them to understand these things at an elementary level. Um, I recently did an episode, two episodes actually, called, uh, I think it's COVID and Viruses 101. Check those out. Let me know what you think. But I was recently able to speak with uh, also a former biology uh, professor of mine who actually went to school for immunobiology, who spent a lot of time in the beginning of the pandemic really taking this far more seriously than anybody else. 
And she's recently sent me slides on this pandemic and on viruses in general that I've been able to go back and check out that I'll be able to do more content with. Um, But it's understandable when the average person doesn't really understand at all viruses in general, germs in general. I mean, we had to have signs up that say, please wash your hands. That's, That's quite the teller. Uh, where we're at public health-wise in this society. On top of that all, we also had no organization. So, for example, I mentioned to my grandma, I was like, what if right now you had someone walk up to your door with a mask, you know, gloves, and a little suit on, and I'm talking more like a hazmat suit, not like a, you know, (laughs) a tux. But, like, you know, comes up to your door, lets you know, um hey, you know, we're with your neighborhood watch group. We're coming down here to give you a COVID test, take your temperature, ask you, are there any children in the household, any elderly, any disabled folks? Do you folks work? Will your jobs let you work remotely? If not, will they give you severance pay to stay home? Or, you know, will they uh, allow you to miss out on a few days work if you test positive? da 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 And then ask them, you know, do you have food in the fridge? Do you have dairy? Do you have eggs? Do you have bread? Do you have the things that you need? Do you have heat? Do you have money for rent, etc.? How many in this country do you think would not, would just plainly ignore that person? Like, you know, they might do it in a plethora of different ways, but they, they would plainly ignore that person. How many people do you expect would take that seriously? As my own experience tells me, not many. Not many. And because of that, we, you and me, us, organized, conscious activists and, you know, proletarians, need to find ways to organize ourselves. We know the state isn't going to do it. We know the U.S. government isn't going to do it. Look at what they've done to this point three years in and they let the airline association with 26 signatures write a letter to the CDC requesting the drop of the isolation days from 10 to 5 the day before they do it. They gave $58 billion, $798 billion in total to the Department of Defense, to the U.S. military, which is meant to develop technologies aircraft carriers, aircraft themselves, uh, even things as crazy as uh, air-based jetpacks. I just watched a video of this U.S. Marine uh, team doing drills, uh, uh, loading, like getting onto a, a moving ship. And this dude had what looked like fucking hair dryers in his hand. And this huge fucking thing that he had on his back and on his feet, I think. And he, like, jumped off of his boat. Like, off, off towards the water. But then, like, pointed these two, like, hairbrush-looking things in his hands towards the ground. And they started propelling him up. And he fucking levitated, like, 500 feet forward to a moving ship that had to be going at least what we might consider 50 miles per hour. I don't know nautical speed. Anyways, they got fucking jetpacks that they're working with. Not that they're designing, not that are on, and I, but that are actively being practiced with. You also have spyware being developed by the NSO, the Israeli government's technological you know, department, that is hacking into organizers and activists' phones all over the world. Chris uh, from, uh, I think his name's Chris Caffarella, if I'm remembering that incorrectly, or if I'm remembering that from something else, please excuse me. I just have a uh, uh, great noggin. But anyways, um, I think it's homie Chris from uh, Tech With The People on By Any Means Necessary that recently spoke about this um, and how dangerous this really is and has been. Um, On top of that, Um, the first page so I was telling my homie about this because I've I've never really checked out the Department of Defense's website 
but if you ever want to be terrified, like genuinely terrified of militarization and war coming in the future, go to the Department of Defense's homepage and read. Just read anything. Anything that they have on there is terrifying. Uh, The first page of the 2022 fiscal year's report was uh, uh, recently published, and basically what they do is... So they have the fiscal year report where they kind of break down in layman's terms what all the money is going towards. Um, And I think at the very end they have the PDF file of the actual budget. But they have like this note from the... I don't know if it's the secretary or if it's just like the leader. I don't know their proper term of the Department of Defense. That dude that Biden just put in that uh, we were supposed to be excited about because he happens to be black. Um, But unfortunately, he is also in charge of the largest Department of Defense military budget that has ever uh, happened while being one of the more pro-military, pro-imperialist military officials that's still around. Um, Not that there isn't, you know, a bunch of them in the sea, but... There's a lot of folks out there now who really can't adamantly uh, advocate for war in the way that they used to be able to. Except, I mean, I say that, and that's exactly what they're doing, and that's what I wanted to point out, is that first fucking page where the secretary or whatever he is uh, writes his note about, you know, what he thinks about the fiscal year uh, budget and why, you know, they have it. And he's basically just talking about the fact that we got to take on China and Russia in a full-scale war. Like, uh, information, technological, uh, ecological, and uh, militarized uh, war. That's what the U.S. military and Department of Defense are calling for. Now, in that period of time, in that, you know, time frame that we're in, where this militarization and, you know, pro-aggression... Uh, is so prominent, why is it that you think we would give another $58 billion to the military budget that they did not request? Hmm. And might I ask you, where does this $58 billion come from? Because I recall quite recently a $1.3 trillion bill, which is very close and would have been spent over the course of 10 years, not one year. It's very close to the amount of money that they just magically had for a military that gets this amount of money every single year that they didn't have for the Build Back Better plan and for social spending. Is that not just so convenient, folks? Good for them, right? Good for them. The situation that we find ourselves in globally cannot be seen as anything other than an international struggle for liberation. Now, there's many ways in which we have to cultivate this. But first and foremost, we have to understand all of the issues that we are currently facing here in the U.S. empire are subsequently issues that are being faced all over the world. The universality of poverty, of struggle, of unemployment, of houselessness is something that cannot and should not be ignored. The universality of co-opted politics, of a lack of political and social power in the hands of the majority, the masses of people across the world, is something that we must understand as more than an accident, than a coincidence. Can it truly be said that all of these ruling class governments just conveniently happen to be corrupt, conveniently happen to be full of collusion, conveniently happen to constantly and incessantly pass money between hands of people who do not deserve to have any more money, like Nancy Pelosi and like the other senators, congresspeople, representatives, and politicians who use the... U.S. uh, electoral uh, bodies and government uh, positions to basically do insider trading. 
Uh, this is what we're faced with all over the world. So can it truly be said that it's Joe Biden or Kamala Harris's fault? Can it truly be said that it was Donald Trump's fault? Can it truly be said that it was Bill Clinton's fault? No. Each one of them played their role and played their role well because here we are still having these conversations and facing a lot of the same fucking problems but have gotten much, much worse. And this is because things have continued the same way. We cannot allow them to continue the same way. That is one of the most important things we must stress. Things have to materially change. Similar similar mentality must be taken when we hear people complaining about lazy workers. Well, there is something like 3.3 billion people worldwide who suffer with hunger and houselessness. There's something like 4 billion people worldwide who suffer with frequent, frequent joblessness. Can we really expect that there is just 4 billion of that lazy, that stupid, that ignorant, and that unmotivated people? Or is there a pattern built into the economic system that allows for such incredible hopelessness, suffering, and lack of support? I'm going to go with the second one because it's logical. So in talking about this, we have to talk about the struggles that are happening worldwide and what we need to do to try to combat these issues today. So if we look at struggles like the farmer struggle in India, like the mass uh, rebellion and uprisings that are happening in Colombia and in Chile and in other places like in Palestine under occupied Israeli rule, um, all of these show clear examples that The masses of people are willing, able, and constantly standing up for justice, standing up for liberation, standing up for freedom. But what we must also understand is a lot of these people have an incorrect understanding of what those words mean, what kind of processes develop out of that, and really how, if we were to struggle for these kinds of things, we would go about doing it. Now, I come on this show and I offer advice. I don't think I'm correct 100% of the time. I don't think I am 100% correct some of the time. I think that I have ideas that I have heard from other places that I repeat and that I ultimately learn about myself, study, uh, dive deep into an analysis of in order to decide for myself whether or not I think this or that idea is correct or incorrect based on these uh, facts, statements, and experiences that I'm privy to. That's the only thing that I can do as an individual, as a human being. I can try myself to be as learned, as well studied, as well understood myself so as to understand, study, and be able to comprehend other things. Um, But in that way, you know, the average person including me up until really about two, three years ago, doesn't read. Not only do they not read, they don't pay attention. And I'm talking to shit. Um, Right now, 17 people just died in the Bronx from a fire that Eric Adams, the new mayor, the new cop mayor, (coughs) is blaming on the fact that One of the tenants had a space heater on, and the other tenants did not close the door. He said this verbatim. He said, this is my message tonight. Close the door. Basically, if we abstract that from what he's actually trying to say, which is if you close the door, smoke inhalation and fires don't spread as easily. But if we think about what that phrase, close the door, really represents in real time when there's a fire in a building. It means keep to yourself. It means make sure you're good. Don't make sure other people are good. And I'm, I'm not saying that if there's a fire in your house, you got to go play savior. You got to go play fireman and you got to go make sure everybody's all right. But what I am saying is if as a mayor, like this is the city where the triangle shirtwaist company 
uh, fire happened. This is a city where my friend, my very good friend, just lost her own home and then went back to get the stuff just to find out that they had basically either taken it to the dump or that a bunch of people ransacked through it. So all of her stuff was gone. This is the city where fires happen all the time, where flooding happens all the time, where trash and garbage and waste are piling up in the streets, just like it's the 1800s when we used to just dump piss, shit, and garbage straight out our fucking window. That's where parasols came from. That's where umbrellas and, you know, these dainty little, uh, you know, coveralls came from. Is because rain was not always rain, if you think about it. <laughs> Anyways, this is that city. This is New York City. And Eric Adams goes, close the door. What the fuck? Are you fucking kidding me? Close the door? Suck my dick. How about that? Close the door. How about you suck my dick, Eric Adams, you fucking fascist. This guy, a cop, who is now making his brother the head of the New York Police Department and has his homies in codes right now. This fucking asshole cop, Eric Adams, who is the new mayor of New York City, just told millions of people who are cramped into buildings, who are living on top of each other, who have no social support, who have no emergency support. I mean, we saw with that recent flooding a few months back in New York City, where basically they ran out of ambulances. There was a point in time where nobody could call an ambulance because they were all out. That's fucking crazy. In one of the biggest cities in the country, one of, at one point, the biggest countries in the world, ran out of emergency vehicles in the middle of a flash flood where something like two dozen people died in basement apartments because uh, Cuomo told us all to stay inside. Cuomo told folks in the city, just stay inside. I don't know why I said us all. I'm not in the city talking about New York. But anyways, these struggles are something that are being faced in Tokyo in Okinawa right now as well. These are issues that are being faced in New Delhi. These are issues that are being faced in Istanbul that are being faced all over. These are issues that are endemic to a capitalist, imperialist system. That is a system such as ours in the United States and most of the world that bases its entire nation's, uh, you know, ability to govern and uh, necessity to do so and bases human development itself on profits, on constant growth, on ever-growing markets and fields and populations of people to exploit. Why do you think abortion and these things are so touchy subjects in one of the largest capitalist systems in the world? Not only do they need workers, but they need consumers. Where are all their products going to go if not into our houses? That is, you know, one thing that we could say capitalism requires people uh, for in order to take advantage of. But again, capitalism is a system that is based on commodity production, private property, and the private accumulation of wealth, uh, as well as uh, socially based mode of production, meaning that the way in which we produce the goods and commodities which we sell and use ourselves is socialized. We do not do it on an individual producer level. We do it in a factory, we do it in a sweatshop, we do it in a storefront. And we do it with coworkers, we do it with managers, we do it with overseers, we do it with CEOs and board of directors, and we do it with uh, drivers and warehouse workers and um, all these different people. So we have socialized the mode of production and we have also expanded the production 
capacities of our uh, workforce worldwide to a level that was never before seen. This is why folks like Lenin, folks like Marx, and others talk about the once revolutionary character of capitalist development. Because coming out of feudalism, it was able to bring many people into the workforce that previously were not there. It was giving people certain, quote, political rights that oftentimes were ignored, but they were written at least. It was giving people more religious freedom. It was giving people more uh, productive uh, uh capacities in their areas, meaning they could have more food available to them, they could have more uh, commodities available to them, again, that they oftentimes could not afford, even though they were the ones producing them, Um, as well as also leading towards a socialization of labor. Because if you got to get a job to survive, and the jobs that we have are socialized, you're not going to work alone. When you go to get a job or you move to go get a job or you have to travel to go get a job, you're going to end up meeting with and socializing with plenty of other people who've had to do the same thing. And you're going to talk to them. You are going to learn about their experiences and solidarity will develop almost uh, as naturally as anything else. But uh, this really is because the uh, natural development and dialectical process of capitalist uh, production worldwide that has happened to this point. But because we know how capitalism has also globalized itself, it has led to a new level of exploitation and oppression that really has yet to be seen. Now, that's not to say that other historical examples don't exist where capitalism, imperialism, colonialism, and its other forms has truly made a disgusting example of what humanity can be. That much is, you know, more than obvious. Um, There are plenty of examples throughout history that show that uh, human beings can and will commit awful acts for certain motivations uh, depending on their, you know, given character, uh, support level, and privilege within society. On top of that, we also know that capitalism is a system which cannot exist without massive amounts of exploitation. Now, we talk about this a lot, but we have to talk about what that really means. All of the clothes that I wear, all of the food that I eat, all of the paper that I write on, the pens that I write with, the car that I drive, the gasoline I put in it, all of these things come from other people. They come from people around the world. And they come from people who are producing these things, oftentimes for wages that do not allow them to purchase the things that they are producing or the things that they require after having produced. And so because of this, we have to understand that when we are talking about overthrowing a system like this, we cannot and will not and should not ignore the needs and the revolutionary character of the global south. Some homies I would like to shout out right now. Ramiro Sebastian Foynez, as always, Unmasking Imperialism on YouTube. Go check him out. Also, right now, I want to shout out Troika Collective and Professor Danny Shaw, who are in Nicaragua witnessing uh, Danielle Ortega get inaugurated for his fourth term the uh, Comandante, uh, as well as the uh, Sandinistas, won heavy in recent elections across all municipalities, and in a lot of cases have shown themselves to be truly the representatives and the uh, true fighters for the people. Now, a lot of people have a lot to say about these countries like Nicaragua, like Venezuela, like Vietnam. 
uh, Nam, like China, they like to critique them from the left, call them out for uh, participating with the capitalist system, um, developing in ways that are more, uh, quote, top down or authoritarian, as some folks like to say, uh, and, uh, you know, plenty of other accusations, which are waged to discredit their socialist program and what they have been able to develop under the watchful and dangerous eye of the U.S. and U.N. ruling classes. Um, This is, quite honestly, extremely chauvinistic, and it stems from a place of inactivity. It stems from a place of purely theoretical analysis, and it stems from a place of pure egotistical ignorance in a lot of cases. Um, I, for one, uh, can understand and, you know, follow the line of the logic that people who are pointing out these things really say, okay, you know, when people come out and say, these countries aren't socialist, I get what you mean. Like, I understand what you're trying to say and why you're thinking that. Because I can look at a similar, you know, situation and try to understand things from other people's perspectives, as well as a, you know, I'm still pretty ignorant on a lot of things. I have much to learn. I try to keep telling people this. I am not an expert by any means. And I'm sure after listening to my podcast enough, you'll realize that. But I can understand where people are coming from when they think these things, but you have to put a few different things into perspective. One, you are not there. So how the fuck do you know the information that you're getting or the understanding that you have based on the information that you're getting is even a real fucking picture of what's happening there. On top of that, Why is it that all of these people that are supposedly against the U.S. empire consistently use the U.S. empire's own propaganda to support their understanding of these countries as non-socialist or as threatening to the people? A lot of these things stem from ignorance, and that's why, you know, you want to call it out. You want to do it in a way that is comradely. You know, we're trying to build a movement here so we can't just be coming at people and being like no that's fucking wrong because like no you you are taking advantage of comrade that's what we need to be telling people you are taking advantage you you are misled you are misguided because people can't be held responsible for all their actions especially when people are so incredibly brainwashed in this country and countries across the world But in saying all this, I have to really stress the point in closing that internationalism, the idea that this struggle that takes place here in the United States on Turtle Island is a part of the process towards a liberatory struggle of the world proletariat against the world bourgeoisie. We have to find ways to support, for example, the indigenous people's struggle for land back and decolonization through, uh, you know, ways that will allow indigenous people to do everything and more that is necessary for them to seek their own freedom while also not getting in their way of doing so. We want to... in. We have to, in every way, support the struggles by black folks here on Turtle Island for their own true freedom against all the bullshit that we have heard about supposed equality between ethnic and national minorities. We cannot ignore the blatant contradictions that exist between people who have to live in the capitalist system 
as a, quote, different race. We cannot ignore the contradictions which come to the fore and that these people have to struggle under and suffer because of. We cannot ignore the fact that the reality that someone like George Jackson or Huey P. Newton or Mumia Abu-Jamal or Asada Shakur or Harry Haywood might be different than the experience of others. We have to understand also that the same goes for people who come to this country as immigrants trying to escape forms of repression in their own nation. We oftentimes see fighting between each and every one of these groups, including and especially because of white supremacy. We cannot ignore the true material function and underlying legal system of white supremacy here in the United States. We cannot ignore that the continued police shootings, public health epidemics, economic, environmental, social, and political exploitation, as well as the very, very, very real threat of violence that black, brown, and indigenous people have to deal with every single fucking day that they get up and leave their house. We cannot ignore, we will not ignore, and we should not ignore this reality. The contradictions between the reality that I, as a white cisgender male, live and understand cannot be ignored in comparison to that of a black trans woman who is constantly under threat in almost every society worldwide, but not in Cuba, not in Vietnam, not in China. This is the difference, my friends, is when socialist projects are able to take a stand and demand a reality and a new world that is of the people and for the people in a way that Abraham Lincoln nor anyone that's repeated that quote has ever or could ever truly mean in a capitalist system. A socialist system, a socialist nation built by the proletarian and the working class themselves can only be seen as thus, can only be seen as the one and only opportunity that we have to fight and to erase the issues, the contradictions, and the inequality that millions upon billions of people are suffering across the world today. This can only be done through action, not words. It is not enough to give lip service to these struggles. We must give support. We must give solidarity. We must find ways to actually show people across the world that we care about them, that we care about their struggles, and that we care about their liberation, and that we will support them in any way we can. Look at how nations like Cuba, the uh, uh, one of the most uh, explicit bastions of socialism across the world, has been able to support the struggles in Algeria, have been able to support the struggles in Mozambique, have been able to support the struggles all throughout Latin America and the Caribbean, have been able to assist in giving vaccines of COVID-19 uh, 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 vaccines and other vaccines to nations like Africa that, uh, or I should say nations in Africa that commonly are uh, really ignored and really set aside to suffer by the Western imperialist nations. Look at how Cuba has responded to this ignorance of the, the largest continent in the world, I believe, the place where human beings originated. Look at how Cuba responds versus how Europe responds to the less than 5% of vaccines in Africa. Look at the fact that Africa really doesn't have any ability to find or develop its own vaccine uh, recipes itself because of how exploited it is through colonialism, through imperialism, and through neocolonialism. The state under neoliberalism has suffocated and completely absorbed everything. And the state itself has been absorbed by capitalism because it is a capitalist creation. The state under capitalism can only be understood as the state proper under capitalism. 
And so if we look at nations like Nicaragua and the delegations that they've had, uh, such as Troika Collective, Danny Shaw, and Ramiro Sebastian Fuenas at other times, plus other groups, check out Friends of ATC. Uh, there are plenty of other groups to get involved with, but look at countries like Venezuela and Cuba that export all kinds of goods and services to even the United States. Hugo Chavez used to give low price oil to rural and poor communities in the United States. That's a program that very many, or excuse me, very few of us really know anything about. And so in closing, we must understand that an internationalist uh, struggle is this. It is an active material struggle towards changing the system that is based upon the exploitation and oppression of the global South for the benefit of the global North, first and foremost. Secondly, an internationalist struggle is also a struggle that is focused on the ecology and environmental struggles that are already a reality for billions of people. If we look at the global South, this, of course, will be where many of these environmental issues and incredibly dangerous weather patterns have been occurring. And so if we actually understand that we need to develop an internationalist struggle, we have to understand how crucial the ecological and environmental crises is to that internationalist struggle. We must learn the Cochabamba Accords, the Cochabamba Agreement between the pueblos in Bolivia and many of the indigenous peoples of the Andes, as well as plenty of others who have came to the conference in support that was written in 2011 that demanded all kinds of things from the global north that they always, always, always ignore. We can't get a Green New Deal, let alone Cochabamba Agreement. Build Back Better Plan doesn't even have it, nor does the military budget, my friends. How? How do we expect an internationalist struggle to come out of the capitalist system? It can't, it won't, and it will not. We need to build dual power. We need to be building up our communities. We need to be talking with our neighbors, our coworkers, our doctors, our friends, our family about the situations that they are facing. Ask them, ask anybody, what are you going through? Be there for them. Be a support system, be a communist. Take those things that they're struggling them, take those things that they're struggling with and turn them into encouragement. The last thing I will say is this. Right now, I'm helping out with a tenant union. And that tenant union is trying to organize a building with 170 units in it, of which we have 93 signatures to make demands. The easiest thing that we've been able to do is have people talk to one another and ask them what issues they're facing in their apartments. Because almost all of them are the same. Nine times out of 10, they're facing the same problems. And that's the same for workers and non-workers across this country and across the world. But we have to understand the particulars as well as the universality of these contradictions. We have to understand the ways in which different groups of people are exploited doubly, triply, quadruply, that myself and others are not. And we have to follow their leadership. We have to follow the guidance of the matriarchal indigenous struggling uh, organizers right now in Wet'suwet'en territory. We have to look to the indigenous leaders of the uh, uh, Mexican uh, indigenous peoples, excuse me for not knowing their proper name, and listen to their demands. We have to look to groups like Las Libras, Las Libres, excuse me. My Spanish is poor, I'm working on it. Las Libres. We have to look at groups like the communist parties in India who have been able to galvanize millions of people. 150 million were in New Delhi. Imagine that. Imagine that. Well, we almost had it. We had millions in the street not two years ago. My friends, the time is now and the time has come and it's been here for a long time and we cannot ignore it. We cannot lose this moment and we cannot fail. We need an internationalist struggle that knows that we cannot continue exploiting anyone, let alone the extremely exploited and oppressed people who are already suffering and struggling in ways that we cannot and will not know. So my friends, let us follow their guidance. Let us follow the guidance of those all across the world in Latin America, Africa, and Asia right now who are rising up against their governments and demanding a new reality. We need a proletarian revolution now. We need a base that's ready to fight for it. 
And we need people to know that they should not and cannot continue to be exploited and oppressed any longer. Long live the people, my friend. Hope everyone is healthy, safe, and sane, really. And I hope everyone will go get organized, go talk to your neighbors, go reach out to local organizations, go speak to groups that are doing, uh, you know, teach-ins, go uh, meet up and maybe take a, a, a stroll in your local bookstore and talk to anybody that's in there. There's all kinds of things that you can do, my friends, but most importantly, get organized, get talking to people, and let's build revolution. Long live the people's struggle. Long live scientific socialism. Stay safe, everyone. Stay well, and we'll see you next time. Peace.